Welcome to Sermons from Bailey Road. You are about to hear a sermon given at Bailey Road Baptist Church. Bailey Road is a small Bible-believing church located in North Jackson, Ohio, and is pastored by Pastor Aaron Smith. We are dedicated to serving the Lord through our people and through our teaching. We hope you are enlightened by today's message, and again, welcome to Bailey Road Baptist Church. The book of Acts, Acts chapter number 1. If you would please, Acts chapter number 1. We've been talking the last two weeks concerning revival. As we press ahead and prepare for our spring revival, I want you to have a little bit of understanding of what revival is. Uh, Also, what revival isn't. I think it's definitely important to have a better understanding of what Uh, We can anticipate God doing and moving uh, in our lives. And as we've already talked about, of course, for uh, revival to take place, we have to understand that we must humble ourselves. Uh, We must humble ourselves because revival is personal. Uh, Revival, as we have seen, is also a spiritual matter. Matter matter, uh, is what it is. And uh, we have to understand revival will not happen unless we humble ourselves uh, before God. Uh, He is, as Isaiah said, uh, is the high one. Uh, He is the lofty one and he is the holy one of God. And uh, God has given to us a purpose uh, in our walk with him. And that is that we may glorify him Uh, with our lives. Now I want you to look with me uh, in the book of Acts this morning. As the Bible says in verse number 1, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. He said, Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. If you're in the habit of marking in the scriptures, I would invite you to mark that phrase there in verse number three where it says, after his passion. You might circle that word there, passion. As it continues there in verse number three by saying, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, 
and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received them, or received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem, from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey. When they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where they abode both Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotus, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Again, I want you to take note in verse number 3 where the Scripture says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He showed unto himself, or showed, showed them, himself alive after his passion. God has called us to know him for who he is. I ask you this morning, do you know God? Do you know God the way that God desires to be known? You know Him. Now, I am convinced as Christians that one of the reasons we don't know God the way that He desires to be known is because we are, and I mean no disrespect here whatsoever, but we are spiritual babies and children. I want you to think in a physical realm for a, just a moment, if you will. And we're going to tie this together in our spiritual lives here in just a moment. But I want you to think as a child momentarily, if you will. Some of you will have to go back and just think as a child. And then I want you to think as an adult. But I want you to think back to your childhood and Think back to your parents. As a child, how well did you know your parents? Probably not well. Maybe I could ask it this way. How well did you understand your parents when you were a child? Did you understand everything they did? Did you understand everything that they were all about? Did you understand the decisions that they made? Probably not. Probably not. And yet they made them. And if you were to be honest with yourself, 
The reason you didn't understand the decisions they made and the choices they made was not because they necessarily made bad choices while they probably made some bad choices. But the reason you don't understand or didn't understand is because you were a child and they were an adult. It works the same way in our Christian life, doesn't it? As God's children, which He calls us and refers to us multiple times in Scripture. And God gives us this wonderful, beautiful picture of our relationship of the Christian life being similar to our physical life. We start out as babes. and We grow through the Christian life and grow into young children. And as young children, we grow into, even into teenage years, and from teenage years into adulthood, and into adulthood into full maturity. Or so we should. But just like in our physical life, our spiritual life does not always develop in the same manner. As we age and mature in life, I'm convinced that we age and mature again in that same age, in that same way. Some of the most confusing years of life and of our lives are our teenage years. How many of you can identify with that this morning? We're often asked, we're often asked as we grow into adulthood about being able to go back and do things over. I tell you, there are some things in my life that if I had the opportunity to go back and redo, I'd love to have that opportunity. I made some mistakes. I'd love to make some wrongs right, to make some different choices, to go back and say, no, don't do it that way. Don't say that. Don't do that. But the fact of the matter is this, I've not met one yet that in faced with and asked that question, if you could go back and do things over again, that has said the only way I would do that over again is if I could go back and do it over again knowing what I know today. It's the only way I would want to go back and do it over. And since we can't go back and do it over knowing what we know to know today, most of us would probably choose rather to not go back and do it over. You know, for some, as we age through life and in our teen years, it is during that time of life that we often develop many of the habits and even traits that we carry into adulthood. Not everyone comes to full maturity, do we? Kind of scary to think about. Works the same way in our Christian life. As we spend and come to that course of time of our teen years, we come into a rest of our adult life wondering if there's more than what we're experiencing. 
We've learned to live life often with a rebellious spirit, questioning everything and everyone that thinks differently from ourselves. We live that way our entire life. We have a desire to be our own person. We carry this spirit into adulthood, never maturing past our former teens and self-thinking self. Again, we have a way of carrying this into the spiritual realm of life as well. But I want to remind you this morning that God is not here for you or is not for you to be your own person. He's looking for you to be His. He's looking for you to be His. But again, so often we get this idea that I have to be my own person. I have to make my own mark on this world. But I want to remind you that when Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived His life for a little over 33 years, He did not do so with His own plans and His own goal and His own will in mind. He did it with God's will in mind. This morning, as we see in Acts chapter 1, it says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. Now I ask this morning, how do we combat this spirit of spiritual rebellion often? How do we come out of this spirit of spiritual rebellion and grow into a profitable and wonderful personal relationship with God? You see, I, I, I've, seen, I've seen too many times, too many times, adults that have grown, or teenagers that have grown into adulthood that continue to have poor, reckless, and even bad relationships with their parents into adulthood because they never got past that rebellious stage of their life. It's sad, really, when you think about it. And I see Christians going through that same stage, except not with their earthly parents, but with their heavenly Father. We grow frustrated in our Christian life. And we want to blame God. But I want to remind you that if we are lacking revival in our life, we, me, you, are the reason. We are the problem. We are the ones that are hindering because of our own pride in our life. Of God doing a work in our life. Revival is not about seeking revival, necessarily. It's about seeking God and focusing on Him. 
I don't know exactly who said it first. I've heard many different men quote this. And so I really don't know who to quote. But someone, somewhere along the way, made this statement by saying, as long as we are content to live without revival, we will. I wonder this morning, who's content to live without revival? Because I want to remind you that we will. As long as we're fine to not have it, as long as we're good to say, as long as we're all right by saying, they need it. As long as it's in our heart to say, America needs it or the church needs it, we never will. Because until we come to the place in our lives that we say, I need revival, we'll never have it. We'll never have it. Revival is not something that can be organized. It's not something that can be advertised. It's not even something that can be rationalized in our lives. It is something that must be ordered by God. And it is something that must be come into our lives by humbling ourselves before God, by saying, I recognize who you are, God. And recognizing who we are before Him. I wonder this morning, do we have a passion for what it is going to take for God to do a work in our lives? For us to be able to have revival in our lives. Jesus showed Himself in His passion and after His passion by giving us many infallible proofs. Being seen of them 40 days, the Bible says. And speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. This morning, I'd like to continue to discuss this topic of revival. But more particularly, more particularly, the revival of our passion. I ask you this morning, what is your passion in the Christian life? Do you have a passion of your Christian life? Do you have a passion? What is it? You see, Jesus had a passion. And He showed them after His passion And I'm going to share with you a little bit about the passion of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to share with you a little bit about the passion and the power of that passion. But more importantly, also the plan of that passion. Because Jesus spelled out to them that there is a plan that He's leaving them. And the plan remains the same today, by the way. It remains the same no matter where we're at. No matter who we are with. And if revival is going to happen, and if revival is going to come to our lives, I promise you this, it's going to affect your passion. Let's pray this morning and we'll jump right into this. Our Heavenly Father, God, I pray to You. God, that You would help us. 
For Father, you and you alone are the only one that can give us exactly what we need. Father, I cannot do it. God, there, there are too many needs represented in this room this morning for me to be able to fill them. There are too many personalities. There are too many uh, different uh, desires. There are too many different uh, ideas uh, for me to even begin to know where to begin. But Father, I'm convinced this morning as an all-powerful, almighty, holy God, You're able. You're, you're able to use this message to speak in multiple different directions, to speak to multiple different hearts at one time in a spirit of unity. God, You can do more with this what we could ever imagine. And so God, I'm asking you to. Father, in all the preparation that's been done for this day, will all be in vain unless your Spirit takes control during this time. God, we need revival. I need revival. And Father, I pray that Your Spirit would show us, each one of us, Your passion. And that Your passion would be our passion. That we would be consumed with it, as Your Son was. That we would be led with it. God, that we might see revival in our lives. Father, have your way during this time. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When we see the word passion, there are three different definitions that describe this one word, passion. The first has to do with our emotions. It has to do with a strong and barely controllable emotion. That's passion. When we find somebody that says, I'm passionate about this, it's somebody that says, it's, I have a strong and barely controllable emotion. You know emotions. Emotions can be hard to control sometimes, can't they? Somebody comes in and says something or does something and gets you to a place where, oh, you're maybe just a tad bit angry. And you want to, well, you just can't control it. And words come out that you... Didn't mean to say. 
Sometimes we get emotional in other ways. Again, things affect us. We get gripped by something that we're passionate about. And these things that we try to fight back. These things that we don't want anyone to see begin to swell up in our eyes that we, we fight. And so we look away. We look down and look up and all around, all to try to fight and hide the, the tears. What is it that causes us to do that? Well, often, as is the case, it's a passion that is in our lives. Barely controllable. That is stirring up within us. And it says here that Jesus was a man of passion. The second entry for passion says it's an intense desire or enthusiasm for something. Oh, a passion. Some of you have a passion for things. Some of you have a passion for sports or a sports team. How many have a favorite team you like? I know some of you do. Some of you do. Some of you are Cleveland fans. Are we still allowed to say Indians? Some of you are nervous to tell me. Are some of you are Cleveland Indians fans? Some of you are not going to respond. Okay, there's one. Amen. Just one. Some of you are Steelers fans. Y'all are real quiet this morning. All right, there's one. I know we have at least one. Anybody else Steelers fans? Browns fans, where are you at? Okay, a few more of you. Okay, Some of you are passionate about this. Passionate. An intense desire or enthusiasm. We say you're passionate. You understand what it means. The third entry for passion is probably the best. It's probably the most impactful. But it's the one we don't talk about quite nearly enough. It has to do with the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says here in verse number 3, to whom also He showed Himself alive after His passion. What Dr. Luke is referring to here in verse number 3, after His passion, it's referring to His death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was His passion. Amen. The death and burial and the resurrection, the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, that was His passion. A strong and barely controllable emotion. An intense desire or enthusiasm for something. I want to talk first this morning, if I could, about the person of our passion. When we think about revival and we think about God reviving in our life, 
And we think about God doing something in our life, we must remember the person of our passion. And we must remember the Lord Jesus Christ suffered and bled and died a cruel death upon the cross of Calvary to pay the penalty for our sin. That's what He did. Why? Because that was His passion. That was His passion. That was why He came. His passion was to please the Father. You know, in everything that Jesus did, in everything that Jesus did, was to please His Father. That's it. Will it bring glory to my Father if I do this? Yes, then I'll do it. No, I'm not doing it. That was His passion. You know, Jesus was not overly concerned about pleasing the people. You ever notice that? Now listen, there were countless people that came to Jesus that wanted something from Him. Countless people that the Bible, I mean, people that we we see multiple people that Jesus healed, and we see countless people that the Bible tells us that He healed, that they don't even, the Bible doesn't even give us the description of how He healed them, just that He did. Multitudes. But never one time does the Bible give us a description of how Jesus wanted to please them. Now, in His pleasing, His passion was simply to please the Father. But in His passion concerning others, it was simply to love them. Not please them, but love them. See, there's a big difference there, isn't there? You see, we have to understand that that in all of what we do, not everyone is going to be pleased. But we can still love. The person of our passion is the Lord Jesus Christ that gave His life on the cross of Calvary. so that we might live. He did it to obey the Father, and He did it for a love of us. That was His passion. That's the person of our passion. Let me tell you very quickly, number two, there's a power of our passion. Again, in verse verse number one, in, in the first description of passion, is a strong and and barely controllable emotion. May I remind you that this power of our passion equals strength. There is a strength within this passion that we have that God has given within this, not just strength, but also this power that equals an ability. 
God has enabled us to have a passion. God has enabled us to have influence. A strength, an ability, and an influence. That is the power of our passion. The question this morning is, what are you doing with it? What are you doing within the passion that you have? Or, may I dare say, what are you doing with the passion that you once had in your Christian life? You see, I mentioned earlier, we get passionate about Sports. It's game day. We get passionate about that sometimes. I remember one time, I'm an Indianapolis Colts fan, and I had the opportunity to go to my first NFL game. And it was a Monday night game. We lived in Arcadia, Florida at the time, and had one of our students whose mom had season tickets to uh, the Miami Dolphins. And she asked me, she said, my mom said you could have her tickets, and they were great tickets. And, and, and they said, uh, what game would you like to see? I said, well, I'd love to see the Colts play. And, and she said, okay, great. And, and so now I was young, and I had never been to uh, an NFL game before. And so uh, it was a Monday night game, you know, televised. And, uh, and so I did not realize the... Uh, the, oh, I'll just call it the stupidity of going into enemy territory wearing the other team's gear. Do you know how mean people can be? They're mean. Oh. I mean, I went with this kid. His name was Bill Cavett, and Bill was one of our other students. He had just graduated. He was 18. And uh, we go in the stadium, and I've got my Colts jersey on, and I gave him one of mine. And, and so we go in, and we're going in proud, you know, because uh, we're Colts fans. It wasn't too long for I was like, man, why did we wear this? Because we stuck out. And they had season tickets, and they were great seats, and we were about on the 45-yard line, about 12 rows up, and we're in a sea of Dolphins fans with two idiots in blue and white. We tried to get loud, you know, good play, but then they would get louder. We'd try to make noise after something good would happen, and then something bad would happen, and almost it seemed like everyone in that section would just look at us, and they would point and laugh and... I'm telling you, it was awful. I mean, one time I wanted to turn my jersey inside out, but then I realized it was blue on the inside too. <laughs> Listen, we get passionate about this stuff, don't we? The Colts lost that game, made it worse on the way out. Man, were we criticized and ridiculed, and we, we heard words that we never should have heard from bad fans. I still hate Miami, by the way. To this day, 
But listen, we get passionate and we want to represent. Wait a second. What about representing the Lord? Are we passionate enough to want to represent our Lord Jesus Christ? The one who died for us? The one who gave his life on Calvary's cross? I, I ask, and I, and I don't mean this in any disrespect. Like I said, I, I just described to you, I, I have sports teams, but what did our sports teams ever do for us? Anybody? I mean, they, we talk about, we, we listen to them, listen to them. They, they say, oh, we, we want to win this for the city. Really? Really? I've never had a sports team give me anything. Nothing. Nothing. Never given me anything. But I'm passionate about my team. Passionate about my players. I'll sit and talk all day long about Peyton Manning. Yeah, we can, can't we? What about Jesus? Can we sit and talk all day long about Jesus? How passionate about Him are we? You see, when revival comes in our life, when revival happens and God begins to stir something in our life, we're going to get passionate. And part of that passion comes in when we understand His passion and what He did on the cross of Calvary so that we want to represent Him because we understand the person of our passion and we understand the power of the passion and then we have and understand the plan of our passion. They wanted to know and they asked Jesus, they said, are you going to restore the kingdom? And He said to him in verse number 7, He said, well, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father hath put in His power. That's the power of what He's talking about. But notice again, He says, but ye shall receive power. Again, the strength, the ability, the influence. That's the power. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That's the power of our passion. But then He says within this plan, ye shall be witnesses. Woo! Ye shall be witnesses. Remember I said, are we going to talk about Jesus? Are we going to share Jesus? Are we going to talk about what He has done? There's a plan. He said, ye shall be witnesses. Ye shall be. That's the first part of the plan. Ye shall be witnesses. That's the second part. Now, a witness is one who attests to something that they've personally experienced. Now, have you ever noticed 
Uh, again, I'm going to go back to sports here for a moment. You ever noticed your team, your team, they win. And you know what people say? We won. How many of you said that before? We won. We won. Now, now, now let me ask you something. Did you play? Of course not. So why do we take such personal investment in our team? But we're personally invested, aren't we? We won. Now look, I'm not saying anything is wrong with that. I have said the same thing multiple, multiple times. We won, we lost. Because we take it personally. But he says, ye shall be witnesses. Now a witness is personal. Because a witness means something has happened to me. I ask you this morning, what has happened to you? What happened to you? In your Christian life, what has happened to you? What's your story? Because we all have a story to tell. Again, we can watch the game, and we can recall it. We can go back to the second quarter. That's where it all went wrong. That interception. And then the second interception. And then the third. Oh, thought it was over. Oh, but then Captain Comeback. Fourth quarter, two-minute drill. Down by three. We've got the ball. Oh, we get excited. Oh, no, as a matter of fact, we get passionate. Two-minute drill. Oh, man, it was great. And we can recount it all, can't we? We watch sports plays. Oh, we watch them. We even, we even name certain sports plays. Yeah. The catch. What do we have them? You, you know them. Let me ask you something. What has God done in your life? He said, ye shall be witnesses. What have you witnessed? What have you seen God do in your life? But a witness is somebody who talks about it. But in order to talk about it, you've got to be passionate about it. In order to be passionate about it, you're going to have to experience something in your life about revival. He said, you shall be witnesses unto me or about me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts or part of the earth. There's no place to stop. You see, when you're passionate about something, you want people to know. 
And you don't care who knows. He's given us a plan. He's given us the power. He's given us the ability to. He has enabled us. And we have a person in the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work of the cross of Calvary that we should be passionate about. Listen, if we're not passionate about Calvary, if we're not passionate about Jesus Christ, and we're not passionate about the work that God has done in our lives, that is the first sign that we need revival. First sign. First sign. What influence do you have as a Christian? I'll tell you this, it's more than you think. You just have to have some passion. Revival is personal. It's personal. Once you see God for who He is, and once you see for yourself for who you are, revival is possible. And not only is it possible, it's likely. It's likely. We often want everything to happen at once. But I want to remind you that revival and sanctification is a process that requires time and patience. But I ask you this morning, what is God doing in your life today? I'll have every head bowed and every eye closed.